Alright humanity, let's get something straight. You're all imperfect, I'm imperfect, everybody's imperfect, but we all keep acting like we can be as perfect as we want to be. And that's absurd. We're not perfect, you're not. Like, we all know inside that we have flaws. Just some people aren't willing to acknowledge those. So I just, right off the bat, we're all screwed up messes. Which a lot of us knew anyway, but you know, it's fine. Anywho, I'm here to talk about how to live a Christian life and a godly life when we're imperfect. It seems like there's a certain expectation for like what Christianity is supposed to be, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to live, and we're all screwed it up anyway, so we can't live the perfect life that we're called to. So I was reading Romans, and honestly, before you like listen to this, I might just recommend you go read the entire book of Romans and then come back and you'll know what I'm talking about, because I'm going to briefly reference a lot of things, and uh, it's just really great content. And I could read the entire chapter here, the book, the whole book here, um, but uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to, so... Yeah, just go read Romans, pause this, and then, like, come back, and, yeah, okay, you don't have to, but I would highly, highly, highly recommend it, um, because <laughs> we're gonna start off with people are screwed up and they don't want to live for God. There's a lot of people in this world who just, they're not interested, they don't want to, and there's no excuse for people to not believe that God is real. Yes, it takes a leap of faith, but it's not as big of a leap as many people think because God has been showing himself throughout history and in creation, and God's not gonna put up with, oh, I didn't know you were real, I didn't think about it, because literally creation is screaming for God and screaming at, like to God in praise and in like the way of like, hey, relieve us from this sinful world, but... Yeah, anyway, it's, Romans is initially, like, talking about basically how people are too stubborn to believe that God's real, and he's going to judge them for that someday. But he's also faithful, um, in, like, if someone is obeying his law to the best of their ability, then he's going to be faithful to them and even if they aren't he's going to be faithful because God is more faithful than we can imagine and like there is a part in there where because Paul is talking to the church in Rome he's basically saying hey Gentiles um the law of the Jews isn't necessarily your law I'm not going to ask you to change your entire culture and way of living just to you know be a Christian because Jesus is here to save you, not to make you change yourself for him. This isn't another religion that you have to follow a checklist for. You literally just have to accept Jesus, and then wherever you are with whatever you have, live for him. The thing at the time was circumcision, but we don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about that, because Paul's basically saying, if you're following this law and you follow circumcision, great. If you're not following it, okay, cool. Like, it's whatever you're following, as long as you believe it's what God wants you to do and where 
God wants you at, then you're good. Um, and God is faithful and he's going to, like, he's going to save those who are doing what they believe is best for him. As long as they are devoting themselves to him in the way he calls them to. With a zeal that I personally have a hard time seeing in a lot of people. Um, and not to say that you'd have to have the zeal in order to, like, live the Christian life, but honestly, it should be a part of the everyday because of what Jesus did for us. I mean, if you think about it, he he sacrificed himself, and sacrifice was a huge ordeal, and he just, he gave himself up, and Good Friday is right around the corner, so that's kind of been on my mind. He he could have left. He could have done anything. He was not only beaten and ridiculed, He they were blaspheming him to his face. And he, was, he suffered through so much more than we give him credit for a lot of times. Because he not only physically went through all of that, he lost everyone at that time. No one stayed with him that is recorded. Like, there were people at the foot of the cross, but... His disciples all fled when he was being taken away. Peter rejected him and, like, denied knowing him three times. He went through so much. And it, one of his best friends was the one who had him sent in for the trial and had him subjected to death. His best friend. One of 12, you know. But still, that hurts. That, that had to have hurt. He had a personal connection with Judas. Judas just turned his back on it. This is not where I was going with this at all. Where I was going with it was, as Romans 3 says, is no one is righteous. No one understands. No one's turning to God. And it's like quoting a psalm here, too. Um, but it's basically saying that no one is living for him the way that he calls us to. And we're called to do better than that. We're called to live righteous lives. Everybody's screwed up. Everybody's sin. One of the most well-known verses, I think, is for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, which is followed by, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus, by Christ Jesus, because Christ didn't just die for us and, like, end the suffering of sin and, like, subject us to freedom that was a weird way to put it but it makes sense i think he gave us freedom from sin because we're all screwed up and that's because of that we're called to more we're called to live in righteousness that that comes from god and that's amazing. Like, we can't be perfect. We can't live the life that God wants us to live. But he doesn't say that we necessarily... Not that we don't have to try or, like, do our best, but he's saying that, yeah, I know you're all screwed up. That's why I came. That's why I'm here. That's why Jesus died for you. And that's why I gave you my spirit to live in you, because you can't do it. You're stuck. You're imperfect. I know this. You know this. We all know this. It's in scripture. So anyone who's read this should know this. And then 
where I really want to focus is Romans 6. Um, I'm just going to read the entire thing of Romans 6 because I think there's so much there. And if you want to pause and like read everything up to this, um, I've kind of been focusing on chapters 1 through 3. There's some great stuff in 4 and 5. I was just not focusing there right now for the sake of what I was trying to say. Um, yeah, but I'm just going to read basically all of chapter 6. So here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who's died from has anyone who's died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God, as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer those parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at that time from those things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You you heard that, right? That we're we're free from sin? That we we don't have to live in sin anymore because we're not slaves to it anymore. We're slaves to righteousness. We are called to live our lives in slavery to righteousness. I mean slavery, we normally think of it negatively, but a slave was a fully, wholehearted, devoted person 
to someone else higher than them. They would do anything for them. It wasn't subject to slavery as in you're being beaten because you're not listening to what, you know, well, maybe if you weren't listening. It's not being beaten to do your job better. Being a slave is fully devoting yourselves because you want to do better. And you've given, you've been given instructions such as the Great Commission, like, hey, go make disciples of the world. And God's just, he's a good slave owner, I guess, in a way, except that we would never actually refer to him as a slave owner because that has a negative connotation. So don't go around like telling your friends who aren't Christian, like, oh yeah, my God's a slave owner. Cause then they'll be like, oh, you're you're like, I'm not listening to you. you. You sound like you're insane or something. Any God who's a slave owner is no God of mine. Or it could be a really interesting conversation starter. I don't know. I personally wouldn't recommend you take that approach just because it's risky. But to each their own. It, it could work. I don't know. I've never tried it. I just thought of it now. Um, yeah, but basically, we're free. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And in chapter 7, first, Paul uses an illustration of marriage, which is cool, but I'm going to skip over that. Um, read it on your own time. I would highly recommend it. Um, but it's, he jumps in later saying, like, is law sin? Like, like what? what is this? But the, the law helps us see what our sin is. And it's, it's hard to like just explain what Paul is trying to say because there's so much here. Um, but basically, sin shows us what, like, the law shows us what sin we're doing wrong, and it's up to us to like do something about it. Um, but then he also like writes about struggling with sin, which we all do. And in chapter seven, I'm just gonna read part of it. It's a lot because it's so it's kind of hard to understand but I feel like it's also really important um in just understanding this because it says like we know the law is spiritual but I'm unspiritual sold as a slave to sin I do not understand what I do this is where it gets confusing for what I want to do I do not do but what I hate to do I do and if I do what I do not want to do I agree that the law is good as it is it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful desire. That is in my sinful desire. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I, what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep doing. No, now if I do what I do not want to do, it's it's not me, it's the sin living in me at work. Um, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Shortly after this, he goes into how the spirit lives within us so that we're not controlled by that sin anymore. But this is kind of the central struggle that I'm thinking about. We're imperfect, and we live in a sinful world, and we keep doing things that we don't want to do. I know I'm guilty of this. I'm constantly 
in a state of what why why am I doing this because this isn't what I want to do this isn't the life I want to live God's called me to better than this I know this like we all know this right but we're still living in a sinful world and if we subject ourselves to sinful nature we are going to do the things that we do not want to do and we're not going to do the things we want to this can be why it's so hard sometimes to pick up your Bible and just read. We get so distracted by everything else that we don't take time for God. And that's one thing that we should want to do. We should be striving for that. And we like we should be seeking, like wanting that within us. But it's also one of those things, at least for me, I do not want to do or I do not do what I want to, but I'm doing things I don't want to. So instead of reading the Bible, it's get on Facebook or play on your phone, whatever. Like, there's better things we could be doing with our time that aren't, you know, time wasters. And I'm, this is very much subjecting this to certain circumstance, but... I feel like it can be subjected to a lot of different circumstances depending on who you are or what you're going through. This is just one small case that I think has become pretty common in our society in America because people aren't living with a zeal for God that is reflected in their daily life. And moving forward from this a little bit, Paul also starts talking about how the glory that is coming is going to make everything that we're in now look like nothing. Our present sufferings are going to be considered worthless. They're going to be considered nothing because the glory that's coming is so amazing, so great that we're not even going to remember, or maybe not remember, but we're not going to, it's not going to be important to us what we're going through now. And, like, all of creation is, is groaning and crying out, like, this is, this is, we're living in a sinful world. But we're not subject to it anymore. Because God has freed us. Yes, we're still living in it, but we're free from living in sin. So we have to live in righteousness. And nothing can separate us from God unless we deliberately pull ourselves away from him. And... I don't know that anyone in their right mind, once they've realized the extent of God's love and all that he did and have been devoting themselves to God on a regular basis and like consistently and constantly, so not just a regular basis, but like always, if you've like devoted yourself to God wholeheartedly and you're all in and you have that zeal that is hard to find, I don't see anyone who's to, like who's actually taking the time to dive in to God's mercy and love just walking away from it and nothing in creation can separate us from God and from his love from here Paul does talk a lot about Israel and um God in relation to Israel, how Israel will be saved. But I'm going to jump to chapter 12. Um, it's about living as sacrifices to God. 
I would recommend reading this too. Just, I love Romans 12. It's like one of my favorite passages ever. Um, and there's a lot of deep stuff in there of just like not living in the world, not living the way that the world does and like people in the world do, but like living as sacrifices to God and how everyone's different, but we each have a part to play in our own way in God's plan, which kind of goes back to, I think it's 1 Corinthians 12, I could be wrong, wherever it talks about how, like, the body of Christ is made up of multiple parts, and each part, like, does its own thing, so, like, one person's a hand, and one person's an eye, or whatever, like, it's all metaphoric at that point, but, um, how we each play a role, and how each of us have individual gifts that God is willing to use for his own glory, through us which is our calling like Jesus died for us the least we can do is give God the glory for the redemption that we've been given and so often we fall short of giving him glory for anything which is really sad and it's a struggle um to work through for sure and to try and be better about actually like making sure we give God the glory and that we're not just focusing on what we want and where we're at and all that stuff um and loving loving other people like Paul goes into that too like just be at peace with people and love them and don't get upset with them especially over trivial things because it's it's all just part of this world that we live in and it's not important and going back to the glory that's coming that this this dispute that you're having that you want to get revenge on them for like it's it's not worth it guys there's a glory that's coming that's far more worth it than anything you can do right now in this situation so be kind to those who whether they're kind to you or not are around you just be kind to everyone around you love them show them what it is to love and serve God wholeheartedly. And he also even says, like, don't, don't, like, not love people. Like, don't let, don't let anything that anyone has done against you, like, stop you from loving them. God's coming back. Like, Jesus is coming back at some point. You don't know when. So just love everybody, and then you'll be ready when he comes. Don't hold grudges against people. Don't hold back from loving them. And also, don't judge other people, especially, like, other, like, well, I guess we're, we are called to judge Christians. But, like, I was going to say don't judge other Christians, but in the sense that here Paul is saying, like, don't judge other people for where their faith is at because not everyone's on the same page. Not everybody's at the same point in their life. So don't judge a Christian for not having as much faith as you or don't like judge other people for where they stand with God because everybody's in a different position and 
Jesus still died for all of us, so we should focus our attention on serving God where we're at, not trying to get other people onto the same level as us. And that's not to say we can't help other people in their spiritual walks, but we shouldn't condemn them for not being at the position that we're at, if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. If not, read Romans 14 and probably 15 as well, because they just, they, they explain it better than I could. Um, Paul even makes the analogy of like, one person who ha- believes this with their faith is not going to eat meat. And if you do eat meat, don't judge the person who doesn't. And if you don't eat meat, don't judge the person who does. Because like everybody has their own perception of what God wants from them. And God may want something different from them than he wants from you. So don't judge other people for where they're at. That's what I mean by like not judging other Christians. Because everyone does have a different stance and a, and a different like perception of what they believe God wants them to do and where God wants them to be. And we're not supposed to judge other people for that. We are supposed to call out other Christians when they're not living godly lives, but that is a separate domain that maybe I'll go into at a different time. I don't know. And with that, <laughs> I lost my place. <laughs> um. So I guess like kind of transitioning thoughts here I was kind of thinking about like what does it mean to live the way God wants us to though like we are imperfect because we can't meet all the expectations set for us all the time like we can do what we can we can do our best but like we live in a sinful world and though we're called to live better than that what Romans is kind of saying more is like this is why this is why you need to not live in sin anymore where I'm kind of still struggling with the whole concept of how we are imperfect and we can't meet all of the expectations set for us which kind of just goes back to why Jesus died for us in the first place everybody's screwed up everybody's sinful no one can meet those expectations so someone had to for us And now, yeah, we still have expectations set for us, but we aren't, like, we're called to live better lives because of what Jesus did for us, if that makes sense. Because Jesus died for us and we have that hope in him that he not only saved us, but then came back so that we have, like, a chance to be with him in the future like and not just in the future because he he gave us his spirit so he is living in us now too as like christians as followers and believers um who have given themselves to god and like surrendered themselves to be devoted to god um and because we have that spirit within us it helps us to discern what we need to do and what we should do but we also don't always listen, which is why, like, God has provided forgiveness for us. This is, it's a heavy concept to, like, wrestle with. And it's been helpful, like, looking through Romans and being like, yeah, this is what this says, and this is what this says, and, like, all of that. But it's also 
just, it's a struggle to grasp, like, how can we live the life that God calls us to live if we're still imperfect? And I think the only explanation for that that I've come to at this point is God is walking with us alongside of us saying, hey, I'm still here to help you. I'm still here to save you. And I'm still here to forgive you when you screw up again, because that's inevitable because you're human. Um, And like, he's basically saying, it's okay. I know you're imperfect. When you screw up, when you don't get it right, turn to me. I'm here. And like, there's coming from that, like, it's, it's not easy to live a life that God has called us to live, but he also doesn't expect us to get it right 100% of the time. Which doesn't justify us living in sin, because like Paul already has written, like, we're not called to live in sin. We're called to be better than that. So we shouldn't be deliberately going out of our way to live in sin and to do things that are against what God wants for us to do. But we also need to, like, not only be attentive to God, but understand that, like, we can't always get it right 100% of the time. So we should be listening to God. We should be trying to figure out, like, where we're at and what we're supposed to do. And if we just listen to God, he'll show us. But we shouldn't, like, that shouldn't be the only element of it. We should also be able to look at when we screw up because we're not perfect. And yeah, sometimes there's, it feels like we have expectations that we can't meet. Even just looking at the Bible, like love your neighbor as yourself. I can't always do that. I don't know about you, but it's not always easy to love people who are hurting you. And yeah, it's something to work on and get better at, but um, we can't just dismiss the fact that we're not loving certain people or that we're not doing certain things that God wants us to. There's a lot of examples of that for individuals throughout history, just in the Bible, all over the place. There's a lot of examples of just not listening when God's saying to do something. But the ones that get remembered are when we do listen. And we do act on what God wants for us to do. Because we don't hear stories in the Bible of people not listening to God and then getting commended for it. We have stories of people listening to God, sometimes reluctantly. And then amazing things come from that. And that's the life we're supposed to live is when God is calling us. We need to be able to listen to God and to meditate on his word and meditate on what he wants for us to do, which is a completely separate issue that, or maybe not issue. It's a completely separate topic that I could probably do a whole segment on. Um, But like, we're supposed to listen for what God wants us to do and then do it. And so we're supposed to listen to what scripture is telling us and then do it, but also understand that like, God knows that we're not perfect and we're not going to get it right. And that's okay. And we need to let it be okay. We're just, we're, we're called to just love other people and live as God wants us to. And 
we're free from sin, so we shouldn't live in it anymore. And yes, we're still going to struggle with that because we are imperfect, but God saved us and God's got us and we're going to be okay. We're going to we're going to be able to work for him and live in him despite the fact that we're imperfect because he allows us to. If it wasn't for God, none of this would be possible. Not only would we not have the freedom that Christ gives us if God hadn't given up his son, but we also, we, we just wouldn't have any of this opportunity. Although I guess if we also didn't have God, we wouldn't exist. So there's that too. We literally rely on him every day for everything anyway, and he's still just so patient with us and so willing to cooperate with us on so many levels. And then we wonder why he doesn't cooperate more if he doesn't tell us what the plan is or like answer our questions right away or whatever. But he he's generous with us. He gives us air to breathe and water to drink and just the things like so many things that we don't even worry about <laughs> and we should be relying on him every day because give us this day our daily bread it shouldn't just be give us our daily bread it should be give us our daily needs which is we need to wake up in the morning so that we can go about our day we need to be able to breathe and like inhale oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide, which is an amazing process all on its own that God also has control over that we can do nothing about. We need to be able to eat and drink beverages to survive. And we have a whole lot of other stuff going on that we ask him for help for, such as I'm tired, I can't survive this. I, I have a major thing coming up. I really need your help to prepare for it. And like all this stuff that, so much of it is trivial, and we turn to God with a lot of trivial things, and we don't trust him to just handle things, and we don't thank him for when he does handle things, so we're not even giving him the glory when he's actually, like, acting on our behalf, and it's not easy to go about life with a mindset as drastic as that I guess of like constantly thanking God for our every need that he has fulfilled and being reliant on him all the time and trusting him with everything that's so hard I'm I'm realizing I don't trust God with a lot of things that I thought I was <laughs> situations that I'm still trying to like have a handle on and control that really I just need to say God take this and I say God take this but I don't actually give it to him because I still am like holding on to that control so I'm not trusting him with it that's not what God wants us to do. God's freed us so that we don't have to hold on to things anymore. Like, that's not why, but like, that's part of it. We don't have to hold on to things anymore because God has freed us. It wasn't a cause as in like, this is the cause and this is the direct result we were going for. It's more like, this is a side effect that you get to enjoy also. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, that's what I have to say. Um, we're definitely called to live holy and zealous lives for God. And I feel like we don't do that a lot. So I'm going to try to do better about that. Hopefully, you'll take some of this to heart and also try to do better about that. Um, if not, 
don't listen to me, go somewhere else, because I want you to do better than that. Um, yeah, so live for the Lord, live as a slave to him, as a slave to righteousness, and uh, go about your imperfect life in the best way you can. Also, one more quick note, um, you are more than welcome to leave me a message. I'm pretty sure on the Anchor app there's some way for you to, like, leave me a voicemail or a voice message or whatever you want to call it. I don't really know what it's called, um, because I'm new still to how it all works. But you can leave me a message of, like, hey, I really like what you said about this. I don't like what you said about this. Here's what I think. Here's where your theology was wrong or whatever. I don't, whatever you have to say to me at that point. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have any ideas for future content I should do, I'd love to hear that too. Um, yeah, just whatever you've got to say, I'm here to listen. So just leave me a message if you want. That's all I got. Um, have a good one.